Hello and welcome to Dragon Talk. We are back with Shelly Mazanoble. Hi. You've returned. I've returned. You were in Origins. I was on strike. Oh. I wanted you guys to have a better story for why I wasn't here. What, what do you mean? Like, I could have been like, she quit. She didn't like being live on Dragon Talk. <laughs> She's she, holding out for hair and makeup, and she won't be back until you provide a new wardrobe. We can go with that one if you want. And, and then, no, it was all just like, Oh, yeah, she's home watching The Housewives because she was at Origins. Well, that's, I mean, we like to tell the truth here it on was the Dragon not the Talk. Truth. What were you watching? Southern Charm. Totally different. <laughs> Oops, sorry. Totally di- <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you were at Origins and you were, I was. You were like rocking the house. Origins was so much fun. Was it? Yeah, it was such a good show. Uh, it's smaller show. Still, like, over 10,000 people. But yeah. it's um, But you can play games, and you don't have to really wait in a lot of lines, and it's not super crowded. You're not just, like, elbowing people out. And I actually got to see games. Like, like I found a, this great Goonies adventure system oh, card neat. game. Oh, cool. That I got for Bart for Father's Day. Is he a big like, Goonie oh. fan? Yes, we both are. Does he know how to do like, the truffle shuffle? He totally does. <laughs> so now you're going to need him to host again so Sweet. he can do that. That's, that's what we're going to start with. We're going to yeah. go with that one first. Considering I was like coming, flying home on Father's Day, it was like a good last minute. Yeah, oh, that Father's makes sense. Day. Yeah, but it was, people were super excited about Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. That's yeah. why I went. I, I hijacked a table in the, the D&D ballroom. You just like, <laughs> move everything aside. Here. Screw these D20s. Get them out of here. Yeah, yeah just move it. Yeah. And then, uh, so we played every a couple times a day. We had a nice group of people come join me, and they loved it. Nice. It was really scary at first, for the first two minutes of the first demo. Because yeah. I realized, oh, I've never actually seen this game played outside of our building. What if they don't like it? Or what what if, did they like it? Did they like it? They did. And so it was really the, fun to like watch people ex- discover the things mm-hmm. that we have been taking for granted for like the past five months because we've been playing it. Right, like all the stuff about the Elf Song Tavern and how yeah, there's details yeah, in it. Yeah, of course I told everyone, like, mats are not sad. We yeah. had to put the beholder behind the bar. That's cool. And so I'm sensing a trend here where things that you get like scared about end up being like amazing and everyone like loves it. Similar to Dragon Talk being streamed live. Oh, my God. You made me remember again. I know. Right. There's people right there. They're looking at you. I met people who listen to Dragon Talk. They exist. They're out there in the world. And I went through, like, an entire demo um, with someone, and then he was all like, oh, can you do your burp? <laughs> no way. Really? You got, like, oh, you, a request? Yeah. Like, oh. You didn't tell me you listened. So, That's of course, sweet. I was like, my pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't know that now, Holly. Now you're going to have to, like, cosplay as Bert. Like, okay. Holly Conrad. With, yeah. Did you know she rescues pigeons? No. You didn't know this about her? No. Okay. She's, like, decked out in pigeon stuff. She has, like, pigeon pins, pigeon earrings. She had a pigeon T-shirt on. Probably has pigeon tattoos. And she rescues pigeons. I did not know that. She loves Pigeons. That's I, everything. Every I find out new details about uh, Holly Conrad like yes. all the time, and I'm like, oh my god, that's so amazing. She's really fun. There is so like, have you ever seen her? Like, she took a picture of her. Sh- I've talked about this before. Of her shelf, 
And it was like about a specific thing on her shelf that she was tweeting about. But I just loved the shelf, like the design of it. There was really? like cobwebs in one corner that she had put there and like this thing and like, you know, a really? geode over here and like things. It was like, it was just really like awesome. It was like, oh, this looks like what a wizard's shelf would look like. And oh, it's amazing. just in her house. Like it's yeah, amazing. Her and Danny were fascinating people. We went out to dinner one night. They yeah. were kind of at the other end of the table. And I was like, I don't know. I don't care if this is rude. I'm going to just start screaming over the table because I want to know everything about them. Nice. Like, I didn't know Holly was on a reality TV show. Oh, yeah? Did you know that? I think she... About cosplaying or creating... Yeah. uh, Face face off? No, not that one. The one that's Mm. about makeup... No, I think it was more about costumes. Well, we're going to get uh, Holly on anyway, this podcast pretty soon to talk about, yeah, I, to talk about Strix oh, and all I about was her just character. Like barraging her with questions. As questions. well about uh, the, cob- the goblins that she made for Stream of Annihilation. I yeah. love them. Yeah, we're going to get all down to it's the It's so uh, funny to that. see like these goblins and then talk know to real who's, people. who's in them. I know, right? Like After strange. you get to know those two, they're adorable and I love them. So we have an interview with uh, Quinn Murphy yes. uh, coming up. Um, but before that, we got to talk about, I mean, because Betrayal of Baldur's Gate is coming out in October 6th. Yes. Yes, I'm excited about that. Me too. Uh, some people, You might see some like real life play articles coming out. People got a chance to play it over at Origins, right? Those are going to be coming out. Uh, yeah, they were taking pictures of it. They were texting their friends. Nice. So go look for that. Uh, we'll have more stuff about that coming up over the next few bits. Probably uh, not. Tomb of Annihilation, our new storyline, comes out on September 19th all over the world wide. Um, but in game stores before that, September 8th. Mm-hmm. So go mm-hmm. ahead and check that out. Um, we'll be doing previews of uh, the Tomb of Annihilation storyline on this here very Twitch channel uh, over the whole summer. Um, some of those weekly shows have been going. So Girls Guts Glory, I've been talking to them every Thursday for the last two two Thursdays. Um, and their new storyline uh, has been rolling out some ideas. They're exploring kind of Port Nine Zaru and what's going on in Schult. Uh, we have a new one of those coming up on Thursday at 2 p.m. And uh, we got a couple more premieres going on this yes, week as well. It's like well. premiere week on D and D Twitch. Exactly. Uh, what is coming up next? Maze Arcana, seven p.m.s at uh, uh, Pacific time on Tuesdays and, and on Wednesdays. Yeah, so you get your DM, bang for your buck with that one. DM by Satine uh, Phoenix and Rudy Rutenberg on those two consecutive nights, and then Miss Clicks D and D Risen is happening Wednesday at four p.m. Pacific time. Uh, so go check that out. It's DM'd by uh, Naja Otakor, and it looks uh, pretty fantastic. That's going to be fun. And un- uh, I already mentioned Girls Got Glory on Thursday, and then on Friday we'll be starting at 12 uh, noon Pacific time. High Rollers Uncharted Territory Ooh. is going to be debuting. So go check that out as well. Uh, again, that's all on our Twitch channel. Those of you listening on the audio, uh, feel free to go there. It's twitch.tv slash dnd. And if you're interested in how we record this live, you can watch us, me and Shelly. Watching the sausage get made. They do it on Mondays, oh, no. uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time. We won't be doing next uh, Oh, Monday, I was going to ask July about July 3rd, because yeah. we're, uh, this, the offices will be closed down. But we'll be back uh, the following one, which is July 10th, because I can add 3 and 7 to make 10. I know. That was, and that's because... Isn't it your daughter's birthday? Oh, oh no, that's July 9th. That's right. July 9th is my okay. daughter's birthday. Yeah. Yes. Uh, some other fun I'm stuff. I'm RSVPing, by the way. Oh, you're coming? Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> it's going to be all uh, Betrayal Baldur's Gate themed. Totally. That's her gift. <laughs> She's bail. She She's it. totally bail. She looks like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some other fun things that are happening. Uh, Wizards, uh, WizKids, Icons of the Realms from Tomb of Annihilation, the minis uh, are all coming out this July 26th. Ooh, so soon. go check that out. Right, exactly. You'll get all the minis that are uh, going to be coming. There's some evergreen ones, but also some ones that are specific for Tomb of Annihilation. So soon. Yeah, exactly. You get them early. And even sooner is, uh, I know it's on here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Yes, 
Neverwinter, Tomb of Annihilation, July 25th is coming out on PC. Uh, so it'll be really your first chance to interact with that storyline. Uh, will be uh, in Neverwinter, and you'll travel to Chult and get to all the fun stuff that's going on there. Chris Perkins has been doing some uh, voice acting for that, too, so you have to make sure oh, and check that out. that man is just, his talents are endless. I believe he's voicing Volo, which would be pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. to get him to do his Volo voice. Yeah, exactly, his Volo voice. Do I think that's true. I'm not 100% on that, but it'd be pretty cool if it happens. So, so he played Betrayal at Baldur's Gate at Origins live. He did? But he doesn't play many board games, he said. He said really? he's not good at board games. Interesting. So he's never played base the original Betrayal at House on the Hill. So I was like, oh, I have to teach you a game? I had to teach Chris Perkins a game. You're like the rules master. That is like teaching... Matt Mercer, how to do Bert from Sesame Street. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that time when you tried to be like, I, oh, yeah. I, I have the voice acting, and he nailed Kermit oh, yeah. right afterwards? Yeah, and then he made a face like this first. <laughs> we don't know. That was before we were streaming. We didn't know <coughs> that was happening. Uh, no, yeah. in person. Oh, he did, he did it to he in did person? He did it to me in person. Oh, no. <coughs> well, what do we do if, we, if I start choking and dying? Uh, we... D- <laughs> <laughs> Does it hurt your ears if I cough into the microphone? Perfect. All right. Well, that's uh, uh, Ryan, our sound engineer, who is uh, reveling in all of our wonderful sound effects right now. Sorry. We'll be... uh, (laughs) I'm crying out of my right eye. As you should be. Only you can see it. It's facing you. I'm going to throw some garbage at your face. (laughs) (laughs) You know the old PSA where there's like the Indian walking and they they throw garbage and it's about littering and how horrible it was? Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's what's happening to you right now. It is. I'm thinking about litter. Um, What I was going to say before I started choking was we are adventuring in Schultz now. That's right. We are. We know things. (laughs) That's true. Bart Carroll uh, is dungeon mastering us through uh, a little, you know, uh, sidetrack through Schultz. Yeah. Or it's the main track. Just a jaunt. Yeah. Kind of like Costa Rica or how I imagine Costa Rica. We are two, two cat folk. We are... Tabaxi. Tabaxi, yes. Uh, do you want to tell them what your, your character's name is? My char- Well, I'm kind of following how Tabaxi are typically named, except for someone. My character's name is Drunky Two Shoes. And I am Daryl Two Shoes, and my other cousin Daryl Two Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> my brother, Daryl. We have another brother, Daryl. There's got to be another brother, Daryl, <laughs> that gotta be. Bart's going to have to show up. Maybe, yeah. Okay, no, I was going to spoil something. Okay. Don't spoil it. Uh, awesome. So, yes, uh, I can't wait to get to our interview with, uh, with Clint Murphy. But before we do that, we have a segment of Sage Advice uh, in which I sat down with Jeremy Crawford and uh, asked him about some fun D&D rules. So go take a listen to that right about now. Welcome to Sage Advice. Uh, this is a segment in which I speak to Jeremy Crawford. Hello. Hi there. And uh, we uh, get into some of the minutiae of the rules and philosophy behind the intent of some of the rules uh, for Dungeons & Dragons. And today, we are going to talk about magic items and some of the pitfalls, a lot of questions that people have uh, surrounding them. Most of these uh, uh, questions will be like, read the book, and you'll find out more about it, but then we'll get into some that uh, uh, get tripped up even uh, beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so magic items. Yeah, magic it changed items. Changed a lot. The, they're on my mind uh, because in our last segment, uh, there was a question and answer bit at the end on mm-hmm. the Twitch channel, uh, and magic item attunement came up. Right. And I thought, oh, it would be worth us talking more in depth about magic items and the common rules questions that come up about them. Mm-hmm. 
So really what I'll do, like I do sometimes when we talk, I'll kind of go over here are what the rules are, and then uh, we can talk about some of the little problem areas. So one of the biggies with magic items is that uh, some magic items have that requirement that you be attuned to them to gain the benefit of their magical properties. What that means is you, your character is binding this to this magic item magically. Right. And you can be bound in this way, attuned in this way, to no more than three magic items. And so if you, if you are, are attuned to three and you find a new item that you really want to use and it also requires attunement, you're going to have to choose one of those other three to, to break your attunement with. Does it cost any action to break your attunement? So attuning to an item is something you do over the course of a short rest. So it mm-hmm. takes, takes an hour. Um, and your attunement is also broken. Uh, it is broken with something if you die. Uh, and also, here and I will open right to the page so that I, I do not uh, spread any misunderstandings. Uh, if, always good. Because I wanted to remember the exact number of feet because if, if, the, if an item that you are bound to is away from you for 24 hours, mm-hmm. your attunement ends to it. The part I need you to remind myself is the exact number of feet. If it's more than 100 feet away from you for 24 hours, Interesting. your attunement ends. Uh, so, like, let's say you, uh, you left your magic sword back at home and you mm-hmm. get whisked away through a magic portal to another plane of existence and you're gone for more than 24 hours, well, your attunement to that item is broken. Uh, and then someone else could pick it up and they could attune to it. Um, now, does, is attuning like that where there can only be one person attuned to it at a time? So yes. That, okay. Yep. Only one person at a time. There can be only one. Uh, you can also voluntarily end your attunement to an item by spending a short rest breaking your attunement. I so break with the, I break with the, yes. I break with the. Yes. You, it, it, it's an, it basically, it takes an hour to get married to the item and it takes an hour to get divorced from the <laughs> item. We keep it realistic here yes. in the fantasy rules. Yes, it takes a while. <laughs> um, that makes sense. Now, the other way for your attunement to be ended is if someone else attunes to it. Uh, so, you know, you could you can be the meanie who, who gets your hands on someone else's attuned item and attune yourself to it if, as long as you spend that short rest. Uh, and then uh, now it's yours right. uh, instead sense. of theirs. And so if, if you're not attuned to a magic item that requires attunement, uh, that item is basically like a non-magical object to you. You, you, don't gain oh, okay. any, you don't gain any of its benefits. It's still certainly a, a magic item. Uh, but let's say it's a magic sword that requires attunement. Uh, if you use it in combat, uh, you're going to gain none of its magical properties. Okay. Um, it's still a magic object, but again, uh, for you, it's, all of its, its, its special goodies are locked away. And it's really attunement is the process by which you unlock those special properties. Now, there are many magic items that don't require attunement. Uh, and I, I like to bring this up because... Uh, sometimes people will go, oh, gosh, I wish I could have more magic items than just three. The answer is you can have more than three magic items. It's just you can't be attuned to more than three. Mm. And not every magic item requires attunement. So you always want, you're, when you're looking in the Dungeon Master's Guide or in one of our adventures where uh, many other magic items appear, mm-hmm. you always want to look right under the magic item's name where uh, the, the type of the item is listed it will also tell you right up there at the top if that item requires attunement. If you don't see the words requires attunement, attunement's not required, 
And so that item you can benefit from in addition to any items that you're attuned to. So you could oh, conceivably okay. have a whole ton, a whole mess of magic items uh, that you're using. That's the, the, the technical term for a group of magic items. A, a mess. whole mess. A whole mess. mess. <laughs> 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 or maybe it's a, a bag of holding yes. of, of uh, magic items. Oh, I like that. Yeah. 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 So uh, uh, that makes sense. And I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the more wondrous items kind of fall under the category that don't need to be attuned. Is that is that? Yeah. They're, they're, they're more cl- like utilitarian ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are quite a few that don't require attunement. Um, uh Potions and, and you know other one-use items don't mm-hmm. require attunement. And you mentioned this in the last segment as well, but really quickly, the whole purpose behind attunement uh, was what? Uh, it, it really is a way uh, to uh, rein in the potential for a character to have a bunch of highly complex magical abilities overlapping. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's serving a game-balanced purpose. It's also serving a game speed purpose. Any right. Anytime we limit something in the game, there's always a game balance element, but even more important to us is keep the game moving. We don't want there to be so many overlapping effects that the game grinds to a halt as everyone's trying to figure out, you know, how many of these many different effects are in play at once. Right. So it, it has that twofold purpose. I mentioned uh, also last time that uh, we picked the number three also because it has mythological uh, uh, resonance. You know, there's this kind of rule of three that appears frequently in folklore and mythology uh, and something that has appeared uh, in various forms in D&D throughout its history, especially in Planescape, uh, where the rule of three is is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, Um, I love that. uh, So some more things about magic items. Uh, there are some, obviously, that are one use. Uh, I already mentioned potions. Uh, there are scrolls, uh, things that, you know, it's kind of fire and forget. Mm-hmm. Now, an area with magic items where I tend to get a lot of questions uh, is when a magic item delivers a spell. Whether that magic item is a scroll, uh, the magic item is uh, a wand, a wondrous item, what have you. People will have questions uh, because of related to how our spells work. Here's a question I get quite often. If you cast a spell from an item, what level is the spell at? Right. And this question, you know, comes up because in our game, a spell has its starting level, like Magic Missile is a first level spell. But many of our spells, especially our spells that deal damage, can be cast at a higher level using a higher level spell slot, Mm -hmm. which then causes that spell to become more potent. Uh, Usually, in the case of a damage spell, it causes it to deal more damage. Uh, But this is, you know, it's even true of some of our healing spells, that you can cast them at at a higher level, and then they will restore a larger number of hit points. Right. So one of the key rules with magic items is unless a magic item's description tells you otherwise, the magic item is always delivering a spell at that spell's lowest level. And the reason for that is that ability to make a spell more powerful in in the spellcasting rules in the player's handbook is based on the expenditure of spell slots. But when you're using a magic item, you're not expending any spell slots. Right. The magic item is is sort of this, you know, it's like it, think of it as a device that you know, like this battery-powered device that has this preloaded version of something in it, and you're just unleashing it. It's not relying in any way on your own magical power, unless, again, the item's description says otherwise. There are a few exceptional items that require 
the user to be a spellcaster and will allow the spellcaster to uh, use some of their own power to increase the th- that item's potency. I like that because you know uh, uh, you, that means you, there's no uh, substitute for having a spellcaster in your party. Yes, you could have magic items that cast spells, but you don't have that raw power in order to do more things uh, uh, and cause more damage unless you have you know a, a, a wizard or a sorcerer in your, in your party that can do that sort of thing. Yeah, and often often what a magic item is doing for you is giving you more versatility if you're a spellcaster. Uh, the magic item is letting you, you know, cast spells without using your precious spell slots. Uh, magic items will, will also often give a group of adventurers access to spells that no one in the group knows. Uh, right. That you know that can also be a very useful thing about a wand or a scroll or a staff to s- suddenly get that spell. That oof, so glad we had that, and that was a spell no one in the group knew. Is there any? Uh, uh, maybe this is an unearthed or arcana type thing, but is there any thought put to uh, uh, a wizard or, or the person who's creating these magic items to make it as a more powerful level of that spell? And uh, you know, by you know, burning up more resources in the creating of that magic item. Well, so that's something that's already possible, particularly for our spell scrolls. Uh, and we even in some of our adventures have specified that uh, uh, you know this or that scroll found. Uh, might have a spell like Fireball in it, but it's a higher level version of Fireball. Right. Uh, so that is an option uh, for something like the Spell Scroll that the creator of it could put in a higher level version of, of a particular up, spell. Right. Um, but again, normally, unless an item uh, says otherwise, the spell is its lowest possible level. It requires no spell slot uh, for the, the magic item's user. Um, Another question that comes up having to do with spells in an item is if it's a spell that requires concentration, does the user of the magic item have to concentrate when they cast the item from that magic item? Oh, that's a good question. It's a really good question. I've never seen that come up in play before. So Yeah, and, and, and it's a question that's come up uh, for me a number of times on Twitter. And the answer to that question is you do have to concentrate unless the item says otherwise. And there are a few items that say you don't have to concentrate. Oh, okay. Was that written before or after you got that question on Twitter? <laughs> oh, before. Okay. Before. No, no, that's in the, it's in the Dungeon Master's okay, Guide. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was, was something we predicted while working on the book. Yeah, that's where playtesting comes in handy yes. when something yes. like that comes up for sure. Yeah. All right, well, that's interesting. And that, that adds like almost two levels of uh, balance in there so that mm-hmm. you have the balance of uh, being willing to be able to attune to you know most uh, magic items and then uh, the balance of having to concentrate only on one effect at a time. Right. Um, makes it seem like, okay, there's, there's some limits there, so you have to think creatively in how mm-hmm. you use magic. And that, that is something that is at the heart of our design, not only of spellcasting, but also of magic items, because you'll see this, you know, how we limit concentration spells, how attunement works with magic items. We also want magic users in our game to have to make interesting and sometimes tough choices. Mm, the old that, Sid Meier, you know, adage about game design, like make interesting choices. Yeah, that you you basically, you don't get to have everything all the time. Uh, because if you did, and this was actually something we playtested pretty extensively in the D&D Next playtest process, especially in our internal playtests, is we found that when we allowed spellcasters to be able to do everything all the time, mm-hmm. uh, it actually made the adventures uh, less exciting because right. because it meant that they had every solution at their fingertips all the time, uh, and actually ended up not even being that fun for the spellcaster player. You know, at first, you know, it's kind of like that that first few bites of 
that chocolate cake that maybe is too sweet. That at, it's like, oh, this is really delicious. But then you get to bite three or four, and it's like, this is too much. I've like, never had that feeling. <laughs> You've never had it? <laughs> From the guy who puts, like, two cups of uh, sugar into his coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. No, but I, I get what you're going to. Like, it's, it's almost like as if you think it's going to be really fun to be Neo in the Matrix, mm. but then after a while you're like, crap. I can do everything. I can do everything, and now mm-hmm. I have to do everything mm-hmm. in order to survive this. So, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and invincibility, having it all the time, uh, can sometimes be thrilling in a story in a short burst, but if it if it goes on too long, it can become boring. Well, especially in a cooperative game such yeah. as this. Like if if I mean, and that was many of the uh, criticisms of, of Dungeons and Dragons throughout the years has been spellcasters feel too powerful. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. Especially at higher levels, they just trump anything else that uh, the fighters or, or or other more melee characters can get into. You right. know, and so I think some of these limits. Don't do, you know, it's not like a huge swing towards spellcasters not being powerful. It just gives them a little bit so it doesn't feel quite so invincible. Yeah, yeah. So creating that sense of there's some vulnerability, there's decision making, yeah, uh, and there's risk. Uh, because especially with the concentration effect, there's always the risk that you'll take enough damage that you lose your concentration and and the magic effect ends, whether it's from a spell you cast using your spell slots or it's a spell you're, you're concentrating on that you cast from a magic item. Right. Uh, also having to do with spell casting from a magic item, I get asked sometimes, uh, does a magic item uh, require components? Uh, I mean, does the spell cast from a magic item require components when you cast it? Like if a spell normally says, you know, you need a gem worth 100 gold pieces and there's a verbal and a somatic component as well, Mm -hmm. the question is, does the person using the magic item that is delivering that spell, do they have to provide those components? The answer is no. Okay. Uh, A a spell cast from a magic item, unless the magic item's description says otherwise, requires no components, verbal, somatic, or material. So really, it's often you just wave that wand and the spell comes out of it, or whatever it is the wand requires you to do to activate its magic, right. uh, which which could essentially amount to a somatic or verbal component. Because you know, if you're having to wave a wand, you're basically that's a somatic component. You're doing some of that action uh, already. Or, right. or 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 if a magic item requires you to utter a command word, that's very similar to a, a verbal component. Mm-hmm. Um, I was smiling in the middle of, of you saying that because I was like, oh, now I want to create like a really powerful magic item that makes the uh, player character have to do something super silly (laughs) as part of it. Like you have to jump up and down and, you know, do the uh, crazy, you know, jumping jack dance or something like that in order to cast magic missile every single time. (laughs) (laughs) And your your foe would be like, what exactly are you doing? You're like, just wait for it. It's going to be really good. You're going to get blown up. Yeah. 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 I just need to blow your mind. I just need to finish this little dance number. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. Like have it be like, I feel like a bard would do really well with this magic item. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, now, everything I just talked about is in the introduction to magic items in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, and I, it's funny talking about questions I get. Sometimes, actually, one of the rules questions I get, it's not actually about the rules themselves, but it's about the questions I answer. Sometimes people will, will ask me, why do I answer these questions where it's so clearly spelled out in the books? Well, not everyone sees the rules, uh, particularly when it comes to something like a magic item uh, this also sometimes happens with spells. The de- a, a player's DM might say, hey, you got the flame tongue sword. And so a person in the DM will say, hey, it's in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Go look it up. And so the person will page you know, to the flame tongue, and they'll go right there. They just got an awesome fiery sword. 
They won't look at the introduction and right. read how magic items work <laughs> each time that they're about to use this Ex- shiny new magic item. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so sometimes that's why in Sage Advice, uh, part of you know my job is just to to point out, hey, you know, this is where you can find uh, the rule that talks about that exciting new thing that that just got added to your character, whether it's a magic item or you just learned a new spell. Right. Um, and plus, uh, I mean, these are big books. Uh, and, you know, even we here in the office often have to remind ourselves, you know, where was that in the book? And, and I constantly uh, look things back up, uh, partly because I have so many different versions of the rules in my head. Right. And yeah. I know I often will go to you with questions. You're like, all right, well, let's go, let's go check it out. And you've gotten really good at, at, at finding the right information, but it's not like it's, it's basically like you're the Google of the, the, the <laughs> right. D&D 5th edition. Like, I know, you know where everything is. <laughs> But I don't necessarily have the most recent version of it in – well, the published version of it in my head. Right. Because uh, sometimes I'll even have not only a playtest version of the rule in my head, I might even have some weird version of it that like Mike Merles and I have been discussing at lunch just because we sometimes talk about, oh, here's an alternative way. We could do something in an alternate universe. Right. And it gets to uh, the point where you talk about that alternate way so many times that it feels like that's the real thing when the, the actual published thing you know, isn't. Right. And it's always important to me uh, that we're always talking about the game we published and not the game we wish we'd published or, <laughs> or some alternate version we're playing at home. It's no. We're going to talk about the real deal. Right. This, that er, that not ever, the idealized version yes. in your heads. Yeah. 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 And, Very cool. And plus the thing with D&D is the idealized version is different for every DM. Yes. Uh, and, and, and not even actually for each DM. It's actually – each DM paired with each group because I as DM have various D&D preferences, but even my preferences shift a little bit with each group of players. Right, right, which makes sense. Based on what, what story is being told, you know, the, the kind of even just like the needs and desires of what you want the rules to do can shift and change based on that. You're like, oh, I wish I had this. Well, you didn't know you wanted that until you had this specific you know, group of things. So, you know, it's impossible to design for, for, for all things, but you guys have done a good job of coming up with a framework that can then be built on to, to encompass all those different situations. Anything else about magic items before uh, yeah, we a, table that? Uh, a few other things. Uh, one is um, identifying magic items. P- people oh, sometimes yeah. wonder, well, how, how do I figure out what a magic item does? So the fastest way to identify what a magic item does is to cast the identify spell on it. If you don't have the identify spell, you can spend a short rest examining a magic item, and at the end of that short rest, you will have gained an understanding magically of what that item does. And that's one item. for It's basically an hour per item. Um, so, again, the, the quick way is somebody cast identify. And if, if uh, a spellcaster who can cast rituals knows identify. The beauty of identify cast as a ritual is it doesn't use up a spell slot uh, and rituals are still much faster than spending an entire hour uh, on a short rest. Right, because it's 10 minutes for, for a ritual spell. Yeah, right? yeah. Any, any spell that's cast as a ritual has uh, 10 minutes added to that spell's normal casting time. Um, and then you can, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can do the ritual version of identify and identify any number of magic items or is still just one? Um, here, look, 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 Let's look, look at the stack of books I have. <laughs> For just this purpose. Yes, exactly. For when I can stump the sage advice master. Uh, so the other thing too, uh, and I won't go into the, the details uh, now, but the other thing for DMs in particular to look up 
is in the Dungeon Master's Guide, the section on cursed magic items. Because oh. cursed magic items love to mess with the rules um, because there are cursed magic items that will do things like make it impossible for you to end your attunement to it. So basically, like, the cursed item is, like, occupying one of your attunement slots. And uh, so... Cursed items are a kind of a, a, a bit of potential chaos that can be a, a fun challenge in a campaign. Um, so when you do identify, it is one item. It is one item, even, yeah. uh, even as a ritual. Yes. Okay. Uh, but it's, its normal casting time is one minute. Uh, and so let's say, let's say you decided to do that in the same amount of time uh, as a short rest. Well, then you could indeed identify multiple items using right. the identify spell, even as a ritual. Um, so it's always, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a much faster way for you, for you to figure out what the heck is going on with that these items yeah. uh, than they kind of just hold it and stare at it for an hour and, and, and learn magically what it does. I like that you guys put in the idea that you could uh, kind of figure out most of it on your own from, mm-hmm. from playing and tinkering in it and that you get some innate magical knowledge from that because... You know, so many times you've been stuck. You know what he wants to use an identify spell slot or isn't a ritual caster or whatever, and right. you can't use it. Um, and you're like, what do I do with this shiny new thing? I know it does something, you know, and there's some uh, hardline DMs that be like, well, you don't know what it is because you haven't identified it. But then I like the idea of of tinkering, of figuring it out, of like, you know, doing some some sparring with a, what you think is a magic sword and seeing if it feels better or whatever. And mm-hmm. then, like, the DM can kind of be like, all right, you kind of think it's better at combat, but you don't really know until you know, you're in the real thing and that kind of stuff. Uh, it really adds to the flavor of the game rather than taking it away. And and we've been asked before, well, how is it somebody can just spend an hour at this item and figure out what it does? The idea behind this in, in our storytelling, and, and this really informed how we approached magic items in 5th edition, yeah. is that magic items are truly extraordinary. Uh, that... Unless it's a magic item where its magical quality has been hidden in some way, you know, there, there are ways to do that. Um, magic items, if you get it, it should be something, like, obviously special. I mean, like, great example of this is, you know, think of, like, in The Lord of the Rings uh, when, you know, Frodo gets Sting or, you know, any of the other sort of these you know legendary items in in those stories it's like you know you have something special it, yeah. it doesn't it it doesn't even feel or handle the way a regular weapon might uh, in the case of a, of a magic weapon uh, this idea that magic items are extraordinary also informs actually how we balance the game around them we made it so that no D character is required to have magic items to meet the the sort of survivability and damage output targets we have for characters yeah. at every level. because So we've actually balanced the entire game with the idea that you could make it all the way to 20th level successfully and not have a single magic item, which is another reason why the attunement uh, number is low because if you have a magic item, especially one that increases your combat effectiveness, mm-hmm. it's always going to make you more powerful than the game expects you to be at baseline. In other words, in 5th edition, a magic item is always good for you in the sense it's always making you better than the game expects you to be because the game doesn't expect you to have any magic items. And, and so 
That's an important it, distinction from, from, from previous editions. Yes. Yeah. We balanced fourth edition, for example, with the assumption that you had to have magic items and that if you didn't have them, you were not actually keeping up with the game's mathematical expectations. Yeah. In fifth, again, the math of the entire game is built, assuming you don't have any, and we did that on purpose because we wanted magic items to truly be bonus. Yeah. Like, if you've got it. And that's, that is why, if you get, say, a plus one magic weapon, that plus one is good for you no matter what level you are because as far as the game's math is concerned, you are now plus one better than all of the game's math expects you to be. Uh, and so that, and again, we wanted you to be in a place where magic items wouldn't feel like, like, eh. Oh, great. Know, now uh, I need a plus two or a plus three right. now. Or, oh, it's another one of these. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll throw this on my pile right. <laughs> of, 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 you know, ma- magic knickknacks I've been melt, collecting. Melt down all the plus ones and plus twos. Right. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Which doesn't feel very uh, you know, epic. It doesn't right. feel like it's a, it's a story that's being told. And I think magic items uh, work best when they're, they have those names or they have that something that, like, you know, this is something that's about power, and that's why so many, you know, they work great as MacGuffins for mm-hmm. so many stories. And then if, yeah. But if you're right, if they're just thrown away, like, you know, <laughs> uh, a watery lady is tossing scimitars, you know, and it's like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as, as epic. Yeah. Now... We've, I mean, in D and D, you know, one of our settings, uh, Eberron, is a world where magic items are plentiful, uh, and so that is absolutely a fun direction you can go in. Yeah. But it has a different feel, right. and and so it's, if a dungeon master goes in that direction, then the the DM just simply needs to know the narrative's going to feel different, the world's going to feel different. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of the, the D&D default is, you know, magic items are these, are these uh, marvelous things, often from an ancient time period. Uh, you know, the way that you create them in many cases has been lost. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's these, these wondrous uh, relics from, you know, ages past. That's kind of the default. Totally acceptable if you want to run a campaign where, you know, basically magic items are, you know, like you can practically get them out of a vending machine. I mean, I've run such campaigns and can be a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, it's a different feel. And, and that it's can... It's important to note that going in and not do that uh, uh, willy-nilly, but to, yeah. to have it be part of your, the design of your campaign rather than just like, oh, yeah, that's what the game assumes. And even, even in a campaign like that, when I've DM'd a magic item plentiful campaign... Yeah. Uh, I always like to, as a DM, avoid the situation where the magic items just start feeling kind of humdrum. Uh, yeah, exactly. Or again, like I'm just going to uh, toss this on, you know, my pile of 15 other, you know, magic weapons. Yeah. Uh, it, it's nice, again, even in the, in, the, in the high magic campaign for there to, to be a sense of specialness about them um, where you're always glad you got it. And even if it's not... Good for you. It's good for someone else in in your group. Um, yeah, I like or that. or you know, it it maybe the item is not of immediate use to anyone in your, your party, but you can use it for some story reason. You know, to benefit an NPC. Um, you know, I always like there to be for it to have a significant place for characters and for the story of a campaign. Love it. All right, great. Well, thanks for that uh, kind of deep dive on magic items and the uh, intent behind it, as well as some of the questions. That was uh, really uh, useful. Great. Thanks, Jamie. Sure.
Um, that was wonderful talking to Jeremy, wasn't it? So good. I'm really good at talking to Jeremy. You're so good. <laughs> That's like my favorite part about talking to Jeremy is you talking to Jeremy. What did you think about uh, the things we talked about? <laughs> I thought that's really cool and like enlightening and I didn't know some of those things and now you know and now I know that's right the more I know the more you can uh, uh, learn about some magic items yes because exactly. I am a sorcerer you are in your own right yes uh, coming up we're going to talk to uh, another amazing person and hopefully learn a lot more things that we didn't know ahead of time why are yeah. we prolonging this agony I don't know let's get him on the let's phone right away we're going to get Quinn Murphy on our Skype channel right about now can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yay. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, awesome. Uh, we are so happy to have uh, Quinn Murphy joining us for the Dragon Talk podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Um, so you kind of caught my eye because you uh, I was following you on Twitter for a long time, uh, and you always had really interesting things about talking about game design uh, as well as kind of story and RPG kind of ways to improve it going forward. So that was one of the big reasons why we wanted to have you on this podcast. And, uh, yeah, so uh, what, could you tell us maybe, like, what was your first kind of experience with Dungeons & Dragons? It's always a good way to get into uh, – yeah. Yeah. Um, so my first experience, I've been. I was. I was just uh, thinking about it the other day, uh, th- this weekend. I've uh, been involved in RPGs uh, for some way for like thirty years. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think about. Uh, mm. And and my first experience was I couldn't even play them. It was watching my brother, who's about seven years older than me, play, and I was in about first grade, and I was not. Uh, you know, old enough to, you know, especially with the risque stuff yeah. they were put in the older books that day, could not touch, could not look at it. But I really, you know, I'd watch him and his friends, they'd have the little minis and they're talking about all this crazy stuff going on. I was, I wanted in. And so all I had to do was wait a few years for him to get kind of, you know, bored of it. Right. And, <laughs> and then I got stuff. to, inhi- yeah, I got to inherit his stuff, except now, here's the funny thing, and this might be why this uh, the more every year I think about more and more of it, and I think this is why I design games mm. is that so the thing that he had given to a friend, the crucial thing we had almost all the other books, theme folio, like uh, monster manuals, one, two, uh, do we have three at that time? No, I think we got that later, but you know all all of this other stuff, but he didn't have the DM's guide. Oh, interesting. Which had all the rules for like experience points, uh, magic treasure, psionics, like a, a lot of critical rules that yeah. you needed to get there. But I was still obsessed. So I basically, and, and, and this was way, way before Amazon could deliver you anything that you needed the next day. Right. Right. And the nearest place near me uh, just didn't get the DM's guide for a really long time. I don't know why they were so badly. It's like I asked them for it and they just never. Got it when they got, they get one copy and then somebody would buy it immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for about a year and a half, <laughs> I had to reverse, I ended up being the GM and I ended up reverse engineering as much as I could the rules to figure out how we sort of were going to k- play. And yeah. so we played a lot. Uh, and, and when I finally got the DM's guide, I was really surprised. I was, it was funny the kind of stuff I got wrong. But I was pretty amazed at kind of what I got right by inference. 
Yeah, that is pretty intuitive. cool. I, I bet that really did shape your like game designer brain too to have to, you know. That's an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, actually. like here's the tables and then here's the connective tissue that you have to make up. And I bet that really cemented, you know, uh, how you think about them going forward. Right. And then, you know, uh, it's a kind of it's a kind of weird thing that I think only a young kid could do right. I was about eleven at the time, right? right. So you have the time and <laughs> the, you know the there, there wasn't a ton else going on, right? And they had all this imagination to fill. I don't know if somebody's like, "Hey, here's a half a rule set." <laughs> These days, if I'd spend much time on it, but at that time, that was just sort of a big portion of what I did. So you said you ended up being the DM, but did you ever get to play once with your young, older brother? <sighs> Man, I, you know he was so far out of it. Uh, by the time I got into it, we've never played. Interesting. Uh, you know, I've told I, you know, I've talked to him about stuff, and uh, he's been sort of happy, sort of following up and seeing what I did with. You know, he moved on and he does other things, uh, and he was interested in to see what I did with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we never played. Huh. Yeah, that's similar to me. My my older brother was about nine years older than me, and okay. uh, it was you know I think it was actually the Dungeon Master's Guide was the only book that he had, and it was on the <laughs> shelf, and I remember flipping through it and being kind of similar to you and like making up what the rest of the rules were in my head. I never actually played when I was that young either. Uh, but I, out of all of my family, I'm the only one who's still doing something that's in that realm. Like my, my brother just doesn't really get into that kind of stuff. Huh. Right. So the, the things that, that you interpreted wrong or guessed wrong when you learned the actual rules, did you stick with the actual rules or go with, were you like, man, my rules way better. Well, I mean, some of the stuff that I like got wrong or like missed were stuff like encumbrance, mm. uh, you know, like like in some details of like, you know, like there are lots of like the DM guide uh, had uh, and it, there was some stuff in the player's handbook um, uh, with it. But there is like really detail of like, you know, all these states and conditions you could go in. Uh, a lot of those when I looked at them, I'm like, hey. I'm not going to use this, <laughs> right? Like no, 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 yeah. no one, because it just made it just was this extra logistical tax on the game. Uh, I'm trying to remember one. It's it's sort of a blur which ones I missed, but there there were there. I, I definitely remember that there were some that I was like, oh, that's how that worked, right? Like, right. Whoops, guys. oh, I'm gonna we're gonna completely change how we play starting now because you know this is not how it goes, <laughs> um, and then. <laughs> Uh, but then other stuff where, uh, you, you know, I was like, okay, like this is pretty close or, or like I got this. Um, you know, I looked enough, uh, you know, cause in the same time too, I was actually, um, I bought in, you know, I'd buy adventures and I buy, I buy every book I could cause I couldn't buy the DMs guide. And yeah. so I would just read them trying to, again, just sort of figure out by proxy, like triangulate on all these modules <laughs> and supplements. So like there were some that I, I got pretty good. So. That's super cool. Yeah. yeah, I love that there was enough there in the stuff that you had that you could infer the yeah. rest of it from. I think that's a... Uh, you were uh, meant to be a game designer. Exactly, right. So then when did you think about doing this kind of more as a, a, a concentration? You know, it, it, it was always a, a thing running in the, the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Growing up, you know, I would... When I was younger, I just sort of would always half design some system and just leave it there. You know, I was always trying to make some new thing. And, and if you're GMing a lot, of course you're 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 already participating in game design, yeah. Right when you're making adventures yeah. and you know coming up with your house rules, that that's game design. And 
then it, it really uh, it came kind of weirdly because it, it wasn't really until like way later down the road. Uh, you know, my my day job is in tech, and uh, uh, but I just still had an interest. Uh, fourth edition D and D came out, mm-hmm. and uh, I got really into it, and a bunch of my friends got really into it, and I just started writing about you know, at first just some of the stuff I was doing with it. And then I, I came up with a lot of different tweaks, uh, uh, about it uh, for, for four fourth ed that, that worked for me, worked in my brain. And I was just like, I'll just share this stuff. And, uh, I, I had a site, uh, it was called at will and the, you know, I started doing some stuff and then some people started to pick up on them and go, Hey, that's pretty cool. That stuff you shared. And then it just started picking up and I was, you know, doing things or at least stuff that people were pretty interested in. And then I got, uh, like lots of different, you know, I started getting some offers to write some stuff. I think the first time I got published in a thing was, uh, the, uh, Cobalt Quarterly, mm. I believe. Um, good old, uh, good old say, Wolfgang. Yep. Give you your first he's shot. always, he's yeah, always he's, with us, even when he's well, not. <laughs> Wolfgang's awesome. And uh, um, and then you know uh, did also like a published uh, like a full on adventure uh, with them. And uh, then yeah, it just started. I just started publishing. From, you know, there I started freelancing a lot. And uh, yeah, and, and then from there it just as uh then started kind of trying to release some of my own stuff mm-hmm. and, and yeah it just it just started to snowball from there so so Me it was really kind of blogging like you just sort of i just kept writing and writing and writing and doing things and it happened it's funny too because you're, you're talking about the era of a fourth edition where i think blogging uh was also hip then uh yeah. <laughs> i feel like everyone was talking about blogging 10 years ago as being like this is yeah. going to change everything you know and and in some you know, areas it did. And I think D and D design is one of them where, you know, uh, 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 people like you were able to expound about different parts of the rules and add your little tweaks and things like that, that actually ended up, you know, improving the the gameplay for a lot of people. Um, but it's, it's, we've been talking to a lot of folks here on, on dragon talk and fourth edition isn't, isn't always the time when people start is what I'll say. (laughs) Uh, so what was it about, you know, that rule set that, that, you know, drew you in? Was it just a, kind of like the moment you were in your life or was there something specifically about that? You mentioned tech as a background, so maybe mm-hmm. that part of it clicked with you. Yeah, well, well, it's, it's, so fourth edition is a very interesting thing, right? Um, uh, so so third edition, uh, I had played a bunch of third edition I, and, and it got to a point where this third edition was just very, it was very heavy, you know? Um, there was like all these like, you know, points of articulation and, and different, like, you know, I had, I had so many, uh, you know, I didn't even have all of the third ed books, but I had so many of them and you're going through all the different books. It was, it was, it was pretty hard. Right. And one of the things I liked about fourth ed now people didn't like the, um, to them, it was more video game like, Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, I saw, uh, overall, uh, at the core kind of, uh, an elegant sort of, uh, rule set. The powers were, the powers are a different thing because they would add a lot of different, uh, too much choosiness. Right. Right. Um, and I had to sort of hack that for my own games to, to reduce that so people could sort of make the relevant decisions. But 
underneath that, there's this sort of very simple to understand system and the blank parts of it were the parts that you could fill with uh, role playing and sort of, you know, for, for me, it was just this pretty great toolkit mm. for stuff. And it was very easy to make a character that was decent without like going through and optimizing all this other stuff. You can make a character you wanted that worked relatively easy, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was definitely a, a strength of it where it didn't matter what kind of character that you, you wanted to play. It wasn't going to be underpowered uh, based on your decisions. There was always, you were always going to have something that was uh, uh, at, least, at least effective in, in battle. Right. And, and you know, a lot, a lot of the stuff... I feel I feel that uh, you know. And then there were skill challenges, which I, I did a lot with. Uh, I uh, work skill challenges, yeah. But but you know, it, it was they were uh, they were a very controversial thing, right? Um, you know, uh, some people really didn't like them. But you know, I really I really saw a lot of promise in them, and sort of did a lot of stuff with that. And yeah. So what are the? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what some of those things that you 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 did. What did yeah. You- uh, um, I did uh, I did a lot of skill challenge work on the site. Um, you know, they, the, the skill challenges I did often broke from the standard rules, um, procedure. And so I do lots of ways of structuring when you make the skills, uh, checks and also the different contexts, uh, to it or, you know, and, uh, like I did things like, um, one of my favorites, my favorite, actually, my and not one of my it is my favorite. <laughs> the unqualified. Um, it is your favorite. Yeah, it is my favorite. Uh, you know, so sorry, other skill challenge children. <laughs> I, have, I have a favorite. I do have a favorite. I love you all equally well, except for this one, which is better than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was you bet your life, and it was a thing where it was a based off. Um, I'm also an anime nerd, so it was based off of this um, uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where they. Uh, are going up against this poker player who, if you lose against him, he sort of, uh, this magical being comes out and turns your soul into a poker chip that he puts in his collection. Mm. And it was all about, it was a skill challenge where you're basically gambling against this guy trying to like it, like, uh, basically, uh, get out there with sort of your soul intact. Uh, that was my favorite one. Uh, you know, and just using it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it was a way to, Give for me, give uh, your skills and your non combat stuff the same kind of weight that your combat abilities would have. Mm. Yeah. You I, know? That's why I thought skill challenges did the, the best, was like really surfacing those, you know, diplomacy or, or, or uh, deception or things like that. That, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah, it was a way to gamify that. But right. there was definitely some skill needed in the dungeon master to not make it feel like you were going through hoops, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I often felt, uh, I often felt that, that there's a version of fourth ed that is in my head that is not in many other people's heads. That, like, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've had people who were like, oh, this fourth ed thing, blah, 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 and they sit down and they, they, you know, they're cynical about it and they sit down and they play with me like maybe I'm running an adventure at a con or something like that. And then by the end, they're like, okay, right? Like, I didn't know that we could actually do that. And I was like, yeah. You can, right? You know, but but unfortunately, being in my head isn't really great for a game's longevity, right? <laughs> <laughs> it needs to be out there in the world. Right, exactly. So with your background in tech, I saw something maybe on your website, <clears throat> maybe on Twitter, but you were talking about how you use tech to enhance tabletop games. Mm-hmm. How, what do you, how do you do that? Oh, man, I've done... 
so much stuff with that. Um, you know, I've, I've, I, I, for some reason, I seem to be the king of dead or soon to be dead technologies. Like I used to do a lot of gaming on Wave back in the day. Uh, if you remember that, uh, what's Wave? Yeah, that, I don't know what that is. It was it's a it's an old Google technology that was like a. Oh yeah! Oh, I didn't know you were talking about Google Wave. Yeah, Google yeah, Wave was yeah. great because it was like this combination of of email and chat. Or right, like, and you could live edit the pages. It was it was neat, but um, you know, and I've used uh, things like you know Fantasy Grounds stuff like that. Um, these days, uh, a lot of what I like it for what I the the simple but effective things I like tech for is. Um, being able to uh, obviously uh, Google Docs, I, I play a lot online these yeah. days, um, and so you know uh, you can do so much with uh, Skype or Google Hangouts and an online die roller and uh, Google Docs and Google Maps there for just shared documents and stuff. But I also like using uh, Pinterest for games or for collecting like images and stuff, and for people to sort of you know sometimes I'll have. Uh, you know, when we're doing sort of a setup thing uh, for people to, you know, include, you know, I might say to a player, hey, include to me some images from like your home area that you think are, are mm. there. That's, you right. know, and, That's really good. Make and, a collage of, of, yeah. your, of your home area or something. Right. Yeah. Like make a vision board for the world. Yeah. And uh, use it there. So, so a, a lot of what I use technology for. Um, these days is uh, basically to sort of collect and collaborate uh, kind of creative bits so that we can kind of just use them as we will um, in the course of play. So you're you're playing in a campaign right now. You're DMing currently. Um, right now, uh, right now, I'm actually I, I'm actually getting back into if I was sort of uh, I was I was uh, the the stuff around fourth ed um, was pretty crazy for a while and I kind of took a break and it's only been a little bit ago that I'm getting back and if, if I, I'm really liking what I see from it um, so I'm going to be starting one soon oh cool sweet okay. yeah yeah so what were some, other, some of the fun things that you were thinking about adding to uh, uh, not just with Dungeons Dragons but all like tabletop role playing like figuring out because it seems like your, your your work with the skill challenges was part of this too is figuring out a way to increase or gamify, you know, the social interaction of, of a campaign. Yeah, I mean, an interesting thing, so I've, in my own personal work uh, right now, you know, I've uh, been releasing some uh, games and just uh, very, very different from, uh, they, are, they are not the type of games that you'd think a person who is a fourth ed designer uh, mm. would make, um, <laughs> but that... Uh, to sort of explore uh, what we can do with less rules but different structures. And because it, it to me, so there are a couple of things. One, I think the human mind is probably the best graphics card on the planet, mm. right? And that one of the things that makes, that keeps me playing role playing games and keeps me coming back and designing and, and trying to sort of offer stuff for people is to make those things that get rendered out in those games better and that how you render in an RPG is through conversation, right? Like I think being a good GM is a lot like being a good conversationalist. Yeah. Right. Uh, you knowing how to include people in the conversation, talk to, uh, you know, talk about your stuff, but in terms that will interest them and how to sort of create an area for exchange. Cause everyone's had, uh, 
the sort of like you, everyone's had a great conversation where at the end of it, you're just like, I don't, I would have never, if I was sitting around myself, talked about these topics in these ways, but because I had these great people around me, we had this great conversation and this other thing emerged from it. Synthesis, right? Yes. Right. And, and, and there's a, and there's an emergent sort of, you know, where the, where everything's greater than the sum of its part to yeah, a conversation yeah. and, and to, and at a table too, at, at, when you're playing a game, right, the best moments in a game are just, um, you know, the rules kind of give you these constraints on what conversation you're having. And so you're, you know, working in them and trying to break out of them. And when it's working, at the end, you're just like, wait, how did this happen? Right? You know, it was a weird die roll and then uh, an interesting choice and mm-hmm. then a great explanation, right? It, all those things sort of fold on each other. And, and that's sort of what I keep trying to to heighten that, that sort of spontaneous thing that comes from all the rules and dice rolls. Well, how, how do you do that through mechanics then uh, rather than just being like, you know, be a good conversationalist? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I find that it and, – and I might be splitting hairs here. Uh-huh. But uh, I find that some of the best ways to do uh, – get these moments are to – change the structure and not necessarily the mechanics or or just to give the mechanics new context so if you are um for for example like you might say uh you have your to hit roll uh with your weapon and what if you are instead of using it uh trying to think of like a, a a way that sort of shifts what the thing is like, maybe you're piloting some giant golem, mm. right? And that, and because you've had, uh, you're, you know, powered into it and hooked into it, uh, it's an extension of you. And so now you're sort of making these hit rolls, but you're making them for the giant golem, right? You know, and that's a, it's a, not a big mechanic change, right? We haven't changed the mechanic at all, right? We just put you inside of a giant golem and hopefully something cool is happening on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and sort of just changing those kind of uh, things. And uh, when I do change mechanics, I try and find a way um, to keep it. The the one thing, like uh, I'll, I'll give, I can give a good example from a fourth uh, edition. Um, I made a, a mechanic called World Breaker, mm-hmm. uh, which has some similarities to the legendary villain stuff uh now uh with the special environmental rules oh right okay um and what a world breaker was was basically it was just me being jealous uh looking at my uh wife on a raid fight one day (laughs) and i was just like i want to i was like why can't i why don't i get to do this like why don't i get to fight like some huge monster and all these like you know there's these great set pieces right you know we're fighting the first stage and these monsters are coming out and this is happening and then the next stage uh, you know, the monster's flying and all these things are happening. Everything's sort of moving and stuff. And I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and ultimately through lots of iteration and play and design, um, you know, because if you make it, if you make a rule different, uh, you know, and this is sort of my really big rule of rules hacking and tweaking. If you make a rule that's not like something else in the game, then you're adding a burden to try the cool thing. So 
so you need to try and make it as close to the rules as written, right? Like use the idiom of the rules or in, do things in the style of the rules yeah. so people focus on your cool thing and not, oh, what was this different rule again? Right. And that was definitely true of designing for fourth edition, uh, if I remember correct. Yes. Like it really, I mean, I, I, I did some, you know, third party work in that era as well. And I was, I heard this remarked a few times from people who are writing for it, that it actually was more fun to design for, uh, for some people than it was to play because it had this wonderful framework to, mm -hmm. to come up with new powers and new things. And you can, you know, you could kind of feel like you were creating something, but it was completely brand new, but it was using the exact like nomenclature of how each power was designed uh, and doing that. So that made a lot of a sense. You, you almost needed to do that uh, in order for it to work with, with this system. Yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. So you were basically making raid encounters. <laughs> yeah, basically. World of Warcraft style, I assume. Is that what your wife was playing? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and it's, and it's interesting, too, because, uh, you know, and I actually did a version of it for some creatures for 13th Age. Uh -huh. um, and I, uh, those should be up on my site, actually. Uh, and, and it ended, it ends up being uh, like a a cool way to tell a story. Like what, what happened was the interesting thing is you'd hear somebody would go, well, I played with this world breaker and my characters were like super hyper powerful and they destroyed it in two turns, but Holy cow, they like were freaking out at all the stuff that was happening whilst they were destroying this monster. And then other people who had like total party wipes, but they were still having fun at, Oh my God, what is this thing doing? Right. You know, is that yeah. creating, uh, you know, you can sort of focus on, and while you obviously don't want to just uh, make everything super easy or super hard, uh, focusing on that too much as opposed to, hey, I'm going to do something cool that you're going to be surprised at, I, I think is sort of where I try and focus. Right, right. that makes sense. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, you, just from what I, I've read about you and seen you talking about on Twitter and all, which you're very active on, <laughs> I see you being retweeted a lot. Um, <laughs> But what do you what do you see the future for tabletop games? Where do you think games are heading, or who do you think is doing some new and innovative things? Yeah, there's so many people doing great new and innovative things. But uh, you know, for for where I think RPGs are going, I you could say with technology and everything as it is that maybe oh they're gonna get sort of boxed out by this entertainment or that. But people have been saying that for as long as I've been playing them, uh, the, you know, and this hasn't happened. I, I think that RPGs are just going to get more, um, popular. They're this great, really human game, mm -hmm. right? Um, they're a game that, oh, you can't really play them well without being around people <laughs> and, you know, and without, and without connecting to some degree or doing these things. So I think really what's, I think what's bound to happen is uh, as technologies get better for connecting us mm. in real ways, um, you know, we'll go through, I mean, and mo almost all of my games these days happen online, even with people who live relatively nearby, it's just sometimes easier, Yeah, you know, after work to just, I don't want to hey, get into get a car and buy Cheetos <laughs> and like head there like, let's yeah, just see people right, sit in traffic or, yeah, right. I'm going to be wearing pajamas in my house, <laughs> uh, you know, and, so so I so so I, I think I think there's just going to be more of that, and it will just be more online. We'll have to think of probably some new name because you know we have tabletop, but 
you know, it's not really a tabletop if it's online, but but a lot of the same rules apply. Um, for new stuff that's out, um, man, it's, it's hard to, like, isolate. Like, I go through so much stuff. I mean, I, um, uh, I've been playing uh, in an Apocalypse World uh, second edition nice. uh, game, which I just think is, uh, I just, just love it. Um, what is it about? Because uh, I, um, who is it? Who, Adam Coble plays that a lot as well. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what is it about that uh, that game? I, I think he designed it, right? Is that right? also true? Uh, no, uh, no, that's uh, Vincent Baker. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, what is it about Apocalypse World that uh, uh, kind of floats your boat there? Uh, well, it has it has a really rewarding way of structuring things for like improv play. Like you, you don't need to prepare much for it like a lot of the stuff comes from uh you know uh what uh, moves that the players can make and so the players are very active in just what's there um you, you know a person can go hey you know i'm gonna like what do i know about this thing and roll and on you know a certain number you have to tell them some details and so it's, it's encouraging that it really encourages that when i talk about that give and take um it's really heavily on that just sort of given give and take and, and not focusing necessarily on the details, which are fine, but then sometimes that requires you to prep or, you know, at least have something on hand, right? You know, it's, it's hard to run a, you know, it's hard to run a D&D adventure if you don't have at least like a stat block or something, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and so when, when I do that for, when I try and do improv for D&D, I basically kind of try and prep those things I'll know I'll need so I can get a couple cool set pieces and things, but Apocalypse World sort of, is on a other level of detail where you're just sort of, it's more about that conversation. Interesting. Cool. That, that I can definitely see that. I'm not much more of an improv DM at this point now than I am like a, a prepped one. So maybe, yeah, I, I might want to dip into that. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of like, you know, going off of Shelly's question, uh, there's a question in chat from uh, Ram Rapara. Uh, what sort of technology are you looking forward to or looking for to aid your games? Uh, you kind of answered this a little bit, but I was mm-hmm. wondering if uh, if there's something else that you want to kind of think about. Yeah. Um, so one that, and and I'm, I'm I'm avoiding it because I'm kind of obsessive by nature, and so I know I'm going to fall into it <laughs> when I get in, into it. So I've I've, kind of, I've literally been pushing off, but I I, I really think that VR yes is going <laughs> yes. to VR is going to change the game. I mean, have, have you seen Tabletop Simulator? Uh, I, I have seen footage of it. I haven't actually experienced I, it. I, I've been thinking about picking it up, and it just looks so cool, right? Because it, it, it it's funny because I was talking about, hey, online, it, you, we can't call it tabletop because it's not because it's online. Right. But if you have something like VR and tabletop simulator, haven't you just introduced the table back into it, but just digitally? Like, it, I mean, it. I think that's, and I don't know how close we are to that being a relevant kind of thing we can do. Yeah, but it seems like we're pretty close. It does, and we, we have one partner that we're working with called Experiment 7 who just recently rela- uh, announced uh, or released um, Dungeon Chess. So they basically, like, they have a, you know, uh, it's like a battle chess. Remember that game back in the Oh, back God, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like battle it's chess but with D&D monsters as the pieces, uh-huh. uh, which I find super cool. But the, what, That's awesome. The really uh, interesting part about their framework is that they basically created a, a game room, like a virtual game room uh, with a table. And, you know, Dungeon Chess is the first thing that they're kind of coming out with. But there's so many possibilities for, for playing just exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. Like whatever tabletop rules set that you can think of, 
you know, I could imagine like, oh, we'll jump into Quinn's uh, game room and let's play with him in his game room. Each of us has our own avatar and we all like yep. sit down at a virtual table to play mm-hmm. whatever game we want. You know, it could be a board game, it could be chess, mm-hmm. it could be a D&D. So mm-hmm. that thing is, that sounds super exciting to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you can add a, a live action, um, you know, immersive element to it too. And, you know, you could have people, you know, interacting and going through. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it, I think, I think that is a definite place that, that it could go, uh, yeah. that, I, that I'd like to see. It reminds me of, a uh, uh, Tad Williams sci-fi, uh, series called Otherland basically mm. had that, that kind of idea of like what, what virtual worlds could be. And maybe just cause I read it, you know, back when I was a kid, <laughs> it's still <laughs> cemented <laughs> my idea of, of what it is. And then we're, we're still, day. we're getting to that One point day. right now. Uh, mm-hmm. where it might actually be might, might actually be happening. Well, we'll see. Um, so here's one more question uh, from yeah. chat. It just seemed to pop up, and uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Can you tell us about your game Radio Free Kaiju and how playtesting has shaped it over time? And this might be a planted question from Joe Hills. <laughs> um, hey, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Radio Free Kaiju is a game about... Um, it's about kaiju, but in in a world where the monsters basically won, like we, you know, they're coming out and we had to try to stop them. We threw everything at them. We even decided, uh, you know, much to our uh, chagrin, to try and sort of nuke them and go underground. And mm-hmm. they're still like a lot of them are still there. Um, and so we're underground now, and the monsters kind of own the surface of the earth. And uh, one of the main ways we can kind of communicate in these underground settlements is through uh, radio technology. And then the story is uh, set up such that uh, you're always kind of telling uh, they're like part is part radio drama, part sort of post-apocalyptic monster thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of telling these sort of uh, mostly free form. There's, there's no, um, you know, uh, the rules aren't very, kind of a, what I call sort of a physics engine kind of thing. They're very like drama heavy uh, for telling things of people trying to generally get from one settlement um, to another, um, you know, the, uh, what we call topsiders in the game. And over play testing, uh, I, I use this mechanic called channels, uh, uh, mechanic slash structure for uh, basically giving different parts of the dangerous parts of the world to other players is sort of distributing the GM role. Um, in different scenes and it's a cool idea and it works somewhat, Mm. but it communicates whenever you, you know, I was talking about earlier when you, when you hack on a game, right. When you make a tweak on a game, you have to sort of do it in the game's engine um, or you sort of make everybody more confused than happy. Uh, Even when you do something new, you kind of have to really, focus on communicating what it's doing and what it's not doing. And it, it didn't communicate that. So people can get some people who got it, had a lot of fun with it. And people who didn't got really confused and didn't have a lot of fun. So that, that's when it been, you know, and I'm trying to wrap that up now and I'm hoping to have it done this week, but a lot of the thinking and work around that has been trying to make it uh, clear so people could kind of get into what it is about and not be confused about what it's not about. Nice. Yeah, I mean, that's basically playtesting in a, in a, in a yep. nutshell, right? Yep. Where it's like, yeah. where you think you're explaining some rule the way you think you're explaining it, and then... <laughs> yeah, they're always surprised by what doesn't 
work and or what people really like. Like, really? Or something. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. But sometimes that's why we just, do it. Yeah, right. It makes sense in your head, but it might not make sense in others yep. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that there's kind of a theme going on because you mentioned that example of, uh, of, of controlling a golem. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's pretty much like a kaiju uh, uh, you yeah. know, or like a big giant <laughs> robot. I'm, I'm sensing that uh, you're a fan of that, those kind of stories. I, I like big things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. There was this – I remember hearing about this adventure that was a module uh, back in the 80s or 90s. And it was explained to me like, you know, kind of a, di- a D&D diehard situation where like you were touring – a huge statue and you were like, you know, going up through the different levels that was like levels inside hmm. the statue because it was so huge. It was like Statue of Liberty level. Um, and then it, uh, everything goes wrong uh, during the tour and you kind of have to figure out what's oh. happening and it's gonna, and, the, and some mad wizard is going to like bring this statue to life or something like that. But oh. It was like, oh my God. Yeah. And I remember like I still, someone just described this adventure to me. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, and it still is in my brain of like, what a cool adventure. And I don't remember the title yeah. of it. And I've, I'm, so if anybody Somebody's knows. Somebody's going to remember was it, that. was it a basic D&D adventure? It might have been. Yeah. Uh, like, I, it's, it sounds vaguely familiar. I'm, I'm going to, like, I'm, I'm gonna now going to have to search the internet until I, like, find this now. Do it. Because uh, it's, oh, my God, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Let me know. Uh, uh, email me or, or, or put it up on the Twitters because I want to share it with people because it was like, oh, man, I, and I want to re- replay it and yeah. see if I can convert it to fifth and kind of play it. See if it holds up. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. there's something about that fun, cool idea of being trapped inside a, a giant monster. <laughs> on a tour. On a tour. The tour has gone terribly wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're just adventuring tourists. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Get your cameras. Awesome. Well, cool, Quinn. It was really good talking to you. I love uh, picking your brain on uh, on, on know, game design. A lot of ideas. Yeah. I have actually a really important question. What's your important question? Yeah. How do you like the name Quinn? I, I like it. Although it does... It, it does set me up to these weird Highlander situations where someone's like, oh, I know Quinn was just like, you did, right? Like, I have to go. You oh, I have to go. Yeah, like, oh, okay. no. you know, there could be only one, right? Uh, you know, uh, it's just rare enough that I, like, I, I get very territorial. Like, I, I enjoy being the only Quinn around. Well, mm-hmm. now you're kind of like. In, well, in, in, <laughs> I got bad news for you, buddy. Um, I ask because my son's name is Quinn. <gasps> oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's you or him. <laughs> that was the perfect reaction. Oh, I love that you were like, oh no. He's gonna be four next month. But I just oh, like no. I just wanna know are there any like things I should you know, like my name was really cool until I was seven and then kids started comparing uh, me yeah. to Highlander. <laughs> no, but then now all of a sudden he just like you know <laughs> indirectly threatened. Yeah, he kinda <laughs> there could be revealed, only one. Now that I've revealed I'm the, the what's his name, the Kurgan, the, the bad Highlander of Quinn's. Oh, <laughs> well but, no, uh, but uh, like you know is that I, I, I never uh, had any uh, real issues with uh, though though I I guess sometimes I can talk quietly so people would sometimes be go Queen? Right, oh. and like you know, I was saying, my name is Queen or something, but that's it. Normally, it's a pretty cool thing, and it's an okay. easy name for a lot to remember. It's, it's hard. Not super common. I tried to find him uh, like things with his name on it, like candy bars or license plates yeah. or toothbrushes. There's no Quins out there, and that's not that uncommon, is it? You probably okay. never had anything personalized. Not unless it was like super, super custom. You like, didn't even have Etsy growing up, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's really sad. Nice. I knew I a kid in, in high school with a last name Quinn. That yeah, he was pretty cool. 
I like okay. it. I, yeah. So basically, uh, the three people that I know with Quinn in it are pretty cool. So are you counting my son in that? No, he's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. He's the coolest. He's the coolest out of out of everyone. Well, I don't know. Except for this Quinn. Except for Quinn Murphy. I'm going to tell him he's got some competition. <laughs> uh, Quinn, so where can people uh, get in touch with you on Twitter or follow what your game design musings are uh, and possibly try to challenge you to a duel? Um, <laughs> um, so I'm on Twitter at 2H underscore Murphy. Uh, the standard disclaimer is that I, I don't know how to use Twitter. So sometimes you're going to wake up and I'm going to have like a big long rant about something. I try and keep it very interesting, but... That's, that, that's, that's how you use Twitter. Right. right? Oh. And um, then uh, on online, uh, thoughtcrimegames.net is where I ha- have some stuff. I should have some stuff uh, going up uh, soon there. I've been uh, quiet for a while, uh, starting a new job, but uh, we'll have some. Uh, I've got some stuff brewing, so should be of interest. Sweet. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks so much for, for talking to us. And yeah. uh, uh, I can't wait to, to see more as you get more into fifth. Let me know how your uh, uh, adventuring goes. Sweet. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank, Thank you. Talk to you later. Yep. Bye. Bye. Oh, that He's was really great. Nice. He was really nice. I didn't know that was going to go into uh, Highlander so territory there. <laughs> He's well, mostly Quinny. So. Quinny. Right, exactly. <laughs> Oh, you're Quinny. Maybe. But now Bart needs to have him grow up to be a warrior. Yes. So that he can defend the his The training name. starts now. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> We're starting with Nerf weapons. Yeah. He yeah. actually did, like, he kicked Bart in the throat pretty good <laughs> the other day. That's the way to do it, right? That's a very, run. it's a weak point in uh, Oh, yeah. Our, our he knows where to go. <laughs> he knows where to <laughs> Amongst some other weak points, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. Awesome. No more siblings. And uh, he's going to have a birthday pretty soon, too. Yes. Oh, my gosh. He's going to be 45 years old. 45. Can't yep. believe it. Time I'm so goes. glad he quit smoking. I know, really? Right. Although I know he, he was your inspiration so for that old smoker voice that you did on the, uh, the uh, last yeah. episode. Wow. <laughs> the, in, the impressions are just flowing out of me now. It's true. Yeah. Did you see Nathan was listening to Dragon Talk? And yes. he, he specifically called out your old smoker voice? No. Yeah. I didn't see that. He said it was one of, one of his favorites. I saw that he said that his dog fell asleep listening to us. <laughs> well, we, we can't entertain. Most canines want to be entertained by us, but not all We don't appeal to the canines. Not all canines all the time. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, anything else you want to kind of talk about before we close this mother out? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right. Well, betray- Betrayal at Baldur's Gate is happening on October 6th. Yeah. Ah! ah! We were just talking about Nathan. Did you hear us? Are you listening to us? Yes. Oh, my Stop. God. Stop. No, come back. Come back. <laughs> He's always wanted to do that, is to come in and say, Stop the presses. Ah! Oh, that was amazing. Nathan. Oh, wait, he's not back at his desk yet. Yeah, we got to wait like about five minutes for him to get back to his desk. He you. should have come onto the frame. That's totally I know. what you should do. That- all right, so you, you horrible people who are listening to this audio only, you have to watch us on Mondays, 2 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, it's the only way you're going to get all this hilarity. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, and hilarity is a generous term. Let's <laughs> just say that. Super funny. <laughs> Very generous. Uh, Shelly, how can people bother you on, on the lines? On the Twitters? Yes. Shelly Moo. Look for Shelly Moo. That's right. Are you on the, the Facebooks mm-hmm. or Avalon yep. Hill? Yep, the Av- Avalon Hill 2, number 2 on the Twitters. Electric Beast. Avalon Hill. Did you see what somebody designed the I think title? it was Wolfgang actually did Was it that. him? Yeah. 
It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so find Avalon Hill also on Facebook or Twitter, and find me also on Facebook. I have a little writer page. <gasps> you do? Yeah. Don't look for, like, the regular me. So boring. Yeah. But the, the writer me is more entertaining. <laughs> the cool you? Yeah, the cool me. Cool mom. Yeah. Cool you, mom Shelly. Cool. Cool mom. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about soccer. Do you think Quinny is going to call you a cool mom uh, in about 10 years? Probably not, is what I'm saying. No. No. Maybe his friends will, though. His friends will, yeah. Because I'm going to let him drink. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to buy him beer. <laughs> Your mom's the coolest. Oh, shut up. Uh, <laughs> I'm still smoking. <laughs> I haven't quit yet. <laughs> she lets me smoke. <laughs> uh, I am at Greg Tito. You can ask me any questions about this uh, crazy podcast or about Dungeons & Dragons in general. If you want to find out more about Tomb of Annihilation, which is coming out September 8th in game stores, Go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. You can find out all about that, uh, including all the amazing streaming that we got going on on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash DND. We've got weekly streaming shows from a whole bunch of amazing groups. They were all introduced at the stream of Annihilation. You can check out all those videos as well on our uh, archive, yeah. both YouTube and on Twitch, uh, as well as check out our weekly schedule for all of that. Please come and watch me and Shelly be crazy on Mondays that's, that's it. That's, that's, that's a good it. sign off that I've ever heard. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back, guys, uh, on the Twitch channel. We'll be back with another interview with Dan Telfer in about a couple of minutes. Hopefully, um. it won't be too long because we've got to get right into it. All right, so we'll see you guys soon. Okay, peace, bye. Peace out.